Hey, folks, it's the Paul Leslie Hour. Welcome to it right here. This time we got a milestone interview. We got singer, songwriter, recording artist, and legend Ray Benson, frontman of the famous Western swing band Asleep at the Wheel, which Benson co founded more than 50 years ago. Hey, real quick, please help us out. Gotta keep the show going. Click on to www.thepaulleslie.com slash support. And we thank you, each and everyone who listens and keeps us rolling. Okay, the Ray Benson interview. Paul, if you're ready, just say, all right. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm very pleased to be joined by Ray Benson of the legendary group Asleep at the Wheel. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a great honor. Well, thank you. Where are you located? I am currently in the Peach State, just outside of Atlanta. And all, all right. well, thanks so much for joining us. You're in you're in Texas at the moment, right? Yeah, Austin, Texas. Yes. All right. Well, asleep at the wheel has been a force in motion for fifty years and counting. Ray, what would you say has always been the purpose of the art you create? Well, it's been different, different years, you know. I always said that, uh, sarcastically but accurately, that when you're in a band, you're a soundtrack for maybe, you know. <laughs> it started when I was 19, and, and so we would play clubs, small clubs, obviously, anywhere. And then people your age go, hey, there's a group I really like, and uh, I'm going to be able to be similarly people, females, males, whatever, but friends that, identify with this music and so there's that as we progress you know becomes so we're basically we're catalysts for social interaction uh but why we did why you know that's how it turns out i just have always been a performer i started performing music as a nine-year-old and so that's was always my motivation was i wanted to be on stage performing hmm Catalyst for Social Interaction. I do like that. Well, the latest record, Half a Hundred Years, such a great title. It is Half a Hundred Years of the Band. Does it surprise you how many years and shows Asleep at the Wheel has done over this half a hundred years? Well, surprise wouldn't be a word. I mean, it uh, certainly at different times in this career, I didn't think that we would uh, ever you know achieve those numbers but when they really sit and go what was your intent what did you want to do i said i want to play on the road to uh, audiences uh, 200 days a year that was the goal and so um, not a big surprise that it happened because that was always what was the purpose of the band was to get out there and play for people live make recordings and uh, change the, uh, you know, we really wanted to change the, the social discrepancies that were in 1969. They called it the generation gap back then. And essentially there was two camps. There were, there was the Vietnam war, anti-Vietnam and pro-Vietnam America, love it or leave it. And, they were identified by different musics. 
If you're America lover, leave it. You like country music. If you're against the war in Vietnam, you like rock and roll. And I just didn't see it that way. We were counterculture kids that were against the war in Vietnam, did not want to go over there for what we thought was a senseless war. And yet I loved Merle Haggard, country music, traditional country music, Western swing, etc. And so it was, uh, the idea was that we're going to play this music and be who we are and hopefully bring the two divergent groups together. You know, on the other side of the coin, Willie Nelson was doing the same thing from, you know, he was from a redneck country music, politically conservative area. And he said, well, wait a minute, there's, there's more to this. And so he was coming to the middle <laughs> from the other quote, other side. Do you think asleep at the wheel has succeeded in that kind of like uh, bringing together the, the, the people who aren't necessarily uh or maybe they are. They're the counterculture, but they also love country music. Us and a lot of people, you know, they felt that way. And at different times, you know, the 70s is certainly different than the 2020s. You know, the political divides now are so overamped by the, the uh, media situation as compared to 1971, you know. So it, at times it works and at times it doesn't. When you play music for divergent people and politics and, 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 what, and religion are not discussed, it works. <laughs> Sometimes they just can't get past those two things, the, the different opinions on those two sub, very, very personal subjects. Very true. Well, speaking of those, all those different types of people, you and Asleep at the Wheel, you've reached so many different types of people and, and many people in a lot of different places, young folks, older folks, all walks of life. What has touring and singing and playing, going around to all these different places, what has that taught you about people? Well, touring around and going to all these places and playing for so many different kinds of people. Show me this is the you know, very simplest thing is that um, everybody wants to music is in our DNA. We th there's no reason for us to create music from a survival standpoint of the ver very most basic survival, you know, food, shelter, etc. But there's somehow we're all connected with that desire or ability to make music and or enjoy music, or both. And that's the only thing I can see that has always been true, that there's, um, there's a, a basic need for music in most people. I imagine there are people who don't have any kind of music in their life. I'm sure there are, you know, but the majority of people want some sort of music at some point in their lives to en enrich their lives, to inform their lives or to, you know, you know, to uh, do that undefinable thing that is what happens to your brain on music. And there are books written about it, but basically something happens when people hear music that is very basic to their emotional state and their aesthetic you know, viewpoint.
Well, Ray mentioned, is there a favorite asleep at the wheel memory that you have? No, <laughs> yes, way too many. I was so fortunate, you know, to have, you know, moments in my career that are just, under, you know, you know, you tell me. I'm sitting in. I'm doing the Tonight Show. I'm sitting in the in the green room, and the phone rings. They say Dolly Parton wants to talk to you. I've never better met her before, and she wants you to star in a movie with her. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> uh, or Willie Nelson comes down in 1973 to our little show where nobody showed up. Twelve and, and says, "Hey, I heard about your band. I really like it. Can I sit in?" I mean, those two alone would make anybody's best of list. And yet there are dozens of situations like that, which have been incredible. But if you want to pick a moment or two, I think those are pretty worthy. <laughs> well, you have shared the stage with a lot of great musicians and recorded with just as many. What is it that you look for in another musician, in a person that you want to collaborate or create with? Well, first I just, I want them to, to want to do it. <laughs> hey, uh, and I, I don't, I don't want to list the very few people who I don't want to collaborate with, collaborate with. There's very few, but so I would say what I look for is talent and, and my subjective assessment of talent, which I, I have a pretty good, track record on that and if somebody has a talent which i think is is um laudable and 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 uh, then i and that something that i could either add to or benefit from musically well that's what i'm going to do and like i said i found very few people and my, my one thing and willie nelson taught me the same thing he said i got into this thing and because I was a fan of so many people and to be able to play or create with somebody who you're a fan of is the ultimate uh, goal of any musician. Mm. Well, speaking of those musicians that you have played with, it was just last week. I went and I saw Bob Dylan in concert and my friend Jeff, who went with me, he said, man, that upright bass player is great. He was referring, of course, to Tony Gagne, who you have quite a history with. Do you still keep in touch with Tony? Talked to him yesterday. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, I saw Dylan, what, last week here in Austin, you know, and uh, visited with him and Donnie and uh, Bob, the, the band guys, you know. So I keep up with him, absolutely. Sometimes I even get to, you know, Bob asked for me, but I had already gone. So, you know, sometimes I get to talk to Bob about stuff. But Tony came out with us in October of last year for a week and came back on our reunion tour and played bass with us. And when my birthday party last uh, two weeks ago at South by Southwest, he came up and played bass for a couple of songs. So, yeah, uh, Tony was uh, 18 years old when he joined the band. He was gone to UC Berkeley, and we needed to make a change in the bass players. And so he joined the band and then moved to Texas with us in 74. Tony's one of the most versatile bass players there is, and testament to that is staying with Bob Dylan for over 30 years. Is uh, I do believe that's a, <laughs> a record. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nobody has played more than, than he. And and he also has helped to change Bob's trajectory. Uh, we were talking about this yesterday. Uh, 
because Bob is a seeker, obviously. Bob is a forever finding new things to uh, and ways to, to do what he does, you know. And Tony's a big part of that because he helps Bob along musically. You know? I want to talk about a track for a moment that whenever I'm hearing this on Sirius XM radio, I mean, the volume knob can't go up louder or faster. And I'm talking about Take Me Back to Tulsa. I think everybody has a just a, a great reaction. It's just pure joy to listen to. How did you get that vision for working with uh, Willie Nelson and George Strait on that Bob Wills track? Well, Take Me Back to Tulsa was the first Bob Wills tune I ever recorded in 72. And then, so it was a minor hit around Texas. And then we had a real big hit in 75 on the letter Johnny Walker read. George Strait started his band. Excuse me. George Strait, George Strait joined a band. He, he was hired as a lead singer for the Ace and the Hole band. And they did the Sleep to Wheel songs. They did Take Me Back to Tulsa, Drive and Nails My Coffin. And so when it came time, I said, hey, George, you know, remember this? Because <laughs> he would do it on his show all the time. And I said, would you sing a couple of verses? He said, sure. And it was during the pandemic, and I said, we had no idea. I haven't seen Willie now for for two years, you know. We're, we text and everything, but because of the pandemic, and I just got over my second bout with COVID, so it, you don't just go visit Willie anymore mm. like we used to. And so I just said, man, we just got to have Willie sing this song with us because Willie's career started with Bob Wills. I mean, he booked Bob Wills. He played Bob Wills stuff. And he came to see us because he heard there was a young band called Sleep At The Wheel playing Bob Wills music. So it seemed to make perfect sense on this you know, album, which was looking back to the 50 years, that uh, that would be a couple of really great collaborations, and they certainly were. Oh, yeah. Came out so, so, so cool. And two Texas legends, Willie Nelson and George Strait, what do you like about the Lone Star State? Uh, everything but the government. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's so diverse, you know. It, there's five different states in this state, you know. There's, there's the East Texas Piney Woods. There's the Gulf Coast. There's the West Texas uh, it's, uh, Edwards Escarpment, as they call it. And, uh, and, of course, where I live, the Hill Country, Austin and you know, you got big cities, you got you got farms, you got ranches, you got a history, a great history of migration and and uh, integration of cultures. You know, from German, Czech, Polish, Amer uh, uh, Scottish, Irish, Mexican, Central Americans, uh, Appalachian. You know, I'm sure I've left out a few. <laughs> so it's a, it's such a great crazy quilt of America. You know? Well, we were talking about that that old Bob Wills song, but something I like about Asleep at the Wheel is all of the homages to the old-time music, everything from country and Western stuff to classics from the American songbook, like that Marie song written by Irving Berlin. How important do you think it is to listen and keep alive classic music? Well, you're looking at... Uh my number one priority uh i'm here at my house and above the garage it's not an attic but it's above the garage i have over 10,078 45s uh, uh 10 inch albums you know 
And I always tell people, you know, when I pass, my sons are going to have a hell of a time figuring out what to do with all these records. <laughs> and I feel that this is stuff that is so important about our musical history. You know, we're, we've been recording music now for over a hundred years. That's the deal. 19, you know, I mean, there are examples in the late 19, but essentially making records started at the turn of the century or 1920, whatever. And in this slice of time, we've created a myriad of different kinds of musics, um, all basically with one thing in common. They were created in America, not necessarily just for America, but it shows the, the incredible immigration of cultures to America and the musics that they made, you know, and make. And so now you fast forward to right now, and anybody in America has 100 years of recording history right here on their, all you got to do is touch your phone, mm. and, and, and you can hear anything. So it's, it's, it will be remembered and viewed as, as, as the, the time period where music was initially codified as to what this kind of thing is that we do. Call it what you want, popular music, folk music, I don't know, just the creation of music is in this time period. So to answer your question, it's my opinion that, uh, that it's very important to understand it because the old phrase, there's nothing new under the sun, can be corroborated by listening to what went on. Everything is built upon what has happened. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not going to be new things because here in America and in Western, in the Western world, we deal with a 12-tone system, whereas, which is, for those who don't know what I'm talking about, is there are 12 notes. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do, and all the accidentals in between, but there's 12 notes, and we repeat them in every octave. But in uh, Asian music and Indian music, etc., there's tonalities in between those notes. So, again, all but all of these exist and have been recorded so that future generations will have to base what they do on this because there's nothing new under the sun. Now, that doesn't mean that there's nothing new under the sun. It's just that the tools that you have to make your music are the same ones that they had 100 years ago. Probably a difficult question, but in all of those recordings that you have in your collection, is there one that really stands out to you as, as particularly personally valuable to you? The, listen, I listen to music for two reasons, for, for solace and enjoyment and as a, as a creator of music. Uh, so like from a creator standpoint, and an, and an ethnomusicologist, of which I have no degree and no reason to call myself that. The Emmett Miller and the Georgia Crackers, to me, are the most interesting recordings there are. They were 1929 by Emmett Miller, who was a blackface minstrel show singer, who put together a session in 1929 and recorded about a dozen songs, all in the minstrel style. But the songs became what we call standards today lovesick blues which was a huge hit for hank williams right or wrong which was a huge hit for 
starting with Bob Wills all the way to George Strait. He did Any Time, Eddie Arnold's huge hit. He did You're the Cream of My Coffee, etc. And and Yodel, where Jimmy Rogers, the father of country music, got some of his Yodel, and, and, and Bob Wills got a lot of it. So Emmett Miller, to me, is what I call the Rosetta Stone of American popular and country western music. So there's that. How interesting. Now in that band, and let me let me further explain, in that band was the Dorsey brothers, Eddie Lang, the great trombone player. Uh, and you know, these were legendary jazz musicians. And they were also the backing band on the session. And it also shows the the history of racism in in, in American music. Because there was a white guy basically imitating black performers from the minstrel show, which is a topic in itself, but that was the bit that was the beginning of American popular music was the minstrel shows back in about eighteen hundreds, you know. And to have this white guy do it and do it so well was was to me the most interesting and revelation to me of of, of what I was, how, how I related to the music that I do, it was very important to me. So that that's that's the record. Now, I don't listen to that record for relaxation, solace, or enjoyment. I did, but to me, it's a touchstone. Mm. The other kind of is, what do I listen to? You know, there are so many, but uh, in the jazz world, I listen to a album called ballads by john coltrane because it is to me just one of the great in musical enjoyments in my life hmm. interesting has there been a singer who has made the biggest impression how, how did you develop your singing voice well, like i said i started as a child performer when i was nine and i just opened my mouth and sang of course i was the soprano back then but when it became, when I started the band, I, imit I imitated because I always thought both on guitar playing and on singing, I had to imitate somebody first. And I picked Ernest Tubb to imitate. And I had the voice for it. And it, I wanted to sing like the people I admired who had, who were not quote singers. By that, I mean, Pavarotti, uh, you know, uh, Celine Dion, I don't know, people who have, you know, incredible vocal abilities. To me, guys like Bob Dylan, like like Ernest Tubb, uh, like Tom Waits, etc., they sing like they talk. Hmm. So that was my first goal. And then I got good at that, and then it was like, okay, I, I have the ability to sing. I can be a great singer in terms of so if I tried to incorporate those two things. I want to sound like what you're hearing right now this is me talking i want that voice to come through as i shape the notes you know so it was a long process but that was what 200 nights on the year playing every night and singing with great singers that's what worked that's how it really worked and i i was always been very unsure of my singing which i think most great singers are and and that spurred me on because when I first heard myself singing back off a of tape machine, I was horrified. You know, I said, I got to do something about that. <laughs> well, sir, you have succeeded. You, you do have that quality that some singers have like Willie Nelson of the way you talk is, is 
similar to how you sing. Yeah, and Willie, of course. And, and having worked with Willie now for 50 years on uh, over hundreds of projects, I really taken to heart his phrasing. Now, I'm not going to phrase like Willie, but elements of how he phrases have become part of my you know, vocal DNA. Is there a musician or a singer that you haven't worked with yet that you want to, whether recording or just to do a show or two? Yeah, a bunch, especially since there's young ones coming up all the time. <laughs> now, older folks, I've tried, and for every, whatever reason she don't want to do it, is uh, Allison Krauss. I've tried to get Allison to do stuff. So, Allison, if you're listening, give me a call. But young folks, oh, gosh, I just did a thing with Brennan Lee, who is a fabulous singer. We just did a whole album with Brennan, so I did get to work with her. And uh, her and, and Sierra Farrell, which is this uh, young gal in uh, Nashville who is just strikingly good. So maybe Allison Krauss will see this and, uh, and, and get in touch. <laughs> so what is on the horizon for Asleep at the Wheel? Well, a lot of challenges because trying to keep a band like this together has gotten so different in the last three years. Uh, in, you know, between the COVID element and the regulatory element and the way we travel, you know, buses and, and, and the cost of doing it, you know, it's very difficult to do what I want to, I've continually done for 50 years, which is tour city by city playing with a, a anywhere between a six to 10 piece, 12 piece band. You know, I like to keep it t seven or eight, just very difficult, but that's what we're going to do. As long as my health holds up, I'm 71 years old. As long as my health holds up, I'll get on that bus and try to do 100, 120, 150 days a year, which works out to about 180 to 200 days of travel you know so hopefully uh you know uh continue to do that and i write music all the time and uh i will continue to record i have some solo projects i want to do and of course sleep at the wheel will always record that's changed completely it used to be you put out a song an album with 10 or 12 cuts on it and about every other year, or every two or three years, whatever your schedule might be, do it and go out and turn out. That ain't the way it goes no more. Now we have streaming, so you just—it's not about—it's it's not about putting out that piece of CD or vinyl. Well, vinyl is doing pretty good, but it's just different. You don't do it the same way you used to do it. And so we'll continue to make music, and that's—and I'll continue to produce other people. And and you know, the the only difference will be the amount of time and, or the number of things because things just change, you know. I used to be able to, to do a lot more because there were less regulations in terms of the way we travel, basically. Obviously. Right. Quite a different way to do it. What is the best thing about being Ray Benson? I get to do what I want. You know, I get to play the kind of music I want. And I get to collaborate with fabulous musicians you know, every day. I mean, that's just amazing to me. Um, it's a it's a privilege. It's a challenge, but that's the best thing. Is I I get to play the kind of music that I really love 
and I'm good at with uh, like-minded people who are who are talented and committed. You know, that's pretty special. It always amazes me the different places around the world that will uh, will get in touch and and you know it's just so easy to communicate these days. I have no doubt there will be people watching from all over the world. What would you say to all those Asleep at the Wheel fans out there or anyone who isn't familiar with Asleep at the Wheel who is tuned in? Well, I guess tune into our music and and stick around because one song isn't going to tell you what we do. And the eclectic variety of what we do is our hallmark. And I hope that that you will take the time to listen to a handful of, of things that we do and enjoy them and um, maybe lead you to other kinds of music that you've never considered, you know. Hmm. Great. Well, everybody out there, be sure and follow Asleep at the Wheel on Facebook and in, on Instagram. Keep apprised with what's going on. It's asleepatthewheel.com. That's the, the I guess, the, the headquarters. My last question, who is Ray Benson? How would you define yourself? Who is Ray Benson? Hmm. Well, I invented him, basically, you know. And Benson's my middle name. And my name's Ray Benson Seifert is my last name. And I was reading Ray Charles's uh, biography when I was uh, younger, and his name is Ray Charles Robinson. And people mispronounce my name Seifert as their half the family says Seifert and Seifert, and nobody knows. And so I said, I'm going to do what Ray Charles did. Change <laughs> <laughs> that. And in doing that, I created this person. And as a way too precocious um, young fella i felt that uh, that what you do is because my origins are not what you think in other words this cowboy hat and this beard is not and and the career that i've had is not not what they would think from a a, a counterculture kid growing up in the 50s and 60s from uh, the suburbs of philadelphia pennsylvania whose parents are first generation Jewish immigrants. So I went, well, hey, that's not. And then I started to go, okay, I'm going to create this guy. And he sings country Western music and plays guitar. And his name's Ray Benson. And I remember my friend Lloyd Maines uh, many years ago, who's Natalie Maines' dad and a good friend of mine. And we produced a lot of music together. And he said, Y'all pulled it off. I mean, you became that Western swing band that you wanted to be. I said, yeah. My whole thing was, I want to create, I want to create the person I want to be. And I say this to everybody. I had an old friend, Molly Ivins, was a great journalist uh, here in Texas. And she grew up in Houston and then went to Smith College, you know, a very prestigious East Coast all-female college. And, and even though she came from Texas and she kind of affected this kind of, uh, you know, New England uh, Brahmin accent kind of when she was there. And she went, wait a minute, I'm from Texas, man. And, and, and 
all of a sudden she went back and she said, I became the Texan that I was born to be. <laughs> mm-hmm. And she, her voice, she talked with the heavy East Texas accent and was uh, an incredible journalist. She was also not a conservative racist Texan. She was the opposite. And that whole thing was, yes, I'm from Texas. Yes, I'm the thing, but I'm not that. And I'm going, yeah, I, you have to create yourself. I don't mean you have to deny who you are, but you have to, within what you're given, you have to create yourself. And you create the way you look, you create, you know, the, the affectations, the beard, the hair, the, the what you wear. You create this, and, and you're, that's who you are. And, and a lot of people are afraid to do that or unable to do that but that's why entertainers actors dancers musicians creators can do that you know so many of us have non-diploma writer you know people create their you have to understand that as a creative person you are the art you are the it and whatever vehicle whether it's my voice my guitar playing my mind my hand as an artist all of these things you create. And that was, uh, as a precocious 18-year-old, that was my mantra. That's what we're going to do. We're going to create this person and create this band. And these are the things that he believes in, that he does, and that he creates. So pretty lofty when you get down to it, but it was fun. Man, what a great answer. I like that. Well, I have to say thank you to Willis Allen Ramsey the great Willis Allen Ramsey for helping us get in touch. I love Willis. And thank you. Thank you so much for this interview. It it means a lot to me. Well, you know, Willis, I've known for over probably 50 years now, almost 50 years. I think of 48 years I met him and Willis being one of the more, I found something out about Willis because uh, one of my old girlfriends grew up with him (laughs) and, uh, and of course, he was Alan Ramsey yeah. <laughs> in high school. And I, and when I found that out, I'd known him for 40 years, 45 years before I found that out. I went, oh, yeah. Well, that's what we all do. Take the best of what we got and how it fits into what we're doing. Because what a great name, Willis Alan Ramsey. But <laughs> growing up, you know, a friend of mine went to college with Barack Obama out at uh, one of my drummers and one of my old bass players. They went to Occidental College. And they said, they said, oh, yeah, his name was Barry Obama. <laughs> because, you know, coming to college, you're 18 years old from Hawaii, you know, Barack. Uh, it wasn't so cool back then. So I'm going to be Barry. Uh, I love Willis Allen Ramsey, and his talent is obvious. And I wish he put that dang record out. <laughs> <laughs> He's just adding to his mystique. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it ain't a mistake, Willis. well ray benson thank you very much i appreciate it until next time all right well good luck with this thank you for having me thank you thank you for stopping by today if you enjoyed our program consider telling a friend about it the paul leslie hour is made possible through people just like you so you want to keep the show going right go to thepaulleslie.com that's thepaulleslie.com Click on Support the Show and thanks to everyone who contributes. 
Performance of the intro music is courtesy of John Primerano, The Entertainer, written by Scott Joplin. End credit theme music is courtesy of John Primerano, the traditional song, Corina, Corina. Your announcer is Dan Gold. Hey, that's me. The show is hosted and produced by Paul Leslie. And we'll see you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour.